Let's do it. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 13 of the Xbox Expansion Pass recorded on January 5th, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. XCP, of course, is where we discuss all things going on in the Gamerverse as it pertains to the Xbox ecosystem. And in this episode, we'll discuss Vince Sampella's latest career move. We'll look back at the 2010s and answer some listener mail. Enjoy. Happy New Year, fellow gamers. Great to have you back. So sorry I missed last week. I was a bit under the weather. I appreciate so many of you sending your well wishes on Twitter and via email. I thoroughly appreciate that. I hope you guys had a restful and enjoyable holiday, if you indeed celebrated. And most importantly, I hope you got to some games and got to have a good old bit of time with that game sale uh, that they were running. Goodness gracious, what a great, great break I had playing so many different games and diving back into gaming communities that I had almost forgotten about. I jumped back into Battlefront 2's community. I'd heard all the hubbubaloo about how that game had improved so much, this, that, and the other. And I, I like many, was, was the one who dove in when it first launched at Battlefront 2. And I was excited because it was Star Wars. And I, I really enjoyed parts of the gameplay, parts of the story, Parts of this, parts of that, but the game was piecemeal. It was broken with microtransactions, and what a just a disastrous launch Battlefront 2 was. But in going back and revisiting, I've had a blast with my buddies jumping back in there. They've really revamped a whole lot about the game. It continues to look great, as the Frostbite engine is known for. It does indeed look great, gotta give it that. But jumping into that Star Wars world, a lot of the PvE modes they added, which was my favorite part, uh, I'm still playing right now. I'm loving the PvE stuff. I don't like getting wrecked online by those young and hip kids, but I do enjoy running around as a First Order Stormtrooper or fighting as the Resistance uh, against waves of enemies. I, li- I like horde modes and whatnot. And I, uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying these these PvE modes that Battlefront 2 has added. And so for 12 bucks uh, to anybody that doesn't have it, I think it's like 12 bucks right now if it's still on sale. If not, it might be a little bit more. Uh, diving in there was kind of neat and having all the new cosmetics from Rise of Skywalker. And then if you're if you're a lapsed fan, they've put stuff in there from Rebels and from Solo and a few other of the Star Wars universes that weren't there at launch and kind of in their drip feed of, of content. There's a lot there now, and I have had a good old time, you know, being part of that universe. So, you know, worth your time and worth a few bucks. It's also an EA Access, which continues to be a great service. Maybe maybe check it out there if you're interested. Uh, I also dove back into... <laughs> I, I got back into Sea of Thieves yet again. I enjoy that game. It's a fun, like, low stress environment and when I was under the weather of course you don't want to play some some of the more hectic first person shooters and Sea of Thieves is just the right pace to enjoy it they've added fire into the game so the first thing I did of course was equip some amazing Gears of War sails uh, put in the figurehead of Halo of Master Chief on the front of my boat and then promptly light my boat on fire and watch it sink and that was a blast it really changes the game which is kind of neat and the music in that game continues to be incredible uh, beyond that, I mean, I wrapped up playing Sparklight. I enjoyed, uh, I, beat, I beat the first Darksiders, went back and played that just to get into a series, track down a Darksiders 3 statue just because I had such a good time with that game. Uh, and it's funny, I, I often joke and, and laugh about the idea that I enjoy swimming in sevens. I like good games. They don't all have to be tens for me to have a good time with. And this whole break has been playing good games, not necessarily the bangers, not necessarily the great ones. One of the perks 
uh, of having time to play is that I often play kind of the biggest games upon release. My backlog fills with the sevens, the sixes, the tens, uh, not the tens, pardon me, the sevens, the sixes, the eights. Uh, and, and I like to, to kind of go through those when I'm on a break and I'm having a good old time just playing all different types of games. I even played a train game called Tracks. I went in there for the easy 1K to, with a guide uh, and turned out I really enjoyed that game. If you know those little like wooden trains you get and you play with as you're a kid well this game is all about building wonderful tracks that are very intricate and so if you're a father a mother and you have kiddos and you you want to play it's got a whole city builder in there and you build stations and you transport passengers around it's a really fun game it's very cheap and it's also on game pass uh easy 1k achievements if you care about that but i had a good old time playing that as well so it's been a very diverse array of just gaming for me in the past few weeks but i've, I've had a good old time with it i can't really complain about that uh, there are quite a few things in the news to talk about. I'm sorry, I should rephrase that. There are several things in the news to talk about, but also I generated a look back at the 2010s, which I think is appropriate to do, and many shows are doing it. Looking back at the last decade or so, as we enter the new year with quite a bit in front of us to 2020, with all those new and fresh experiences on the way, look back and looking back and seeing where we came and what was before it, now it leads to a wisdom, I think, that lets us appreciate a lot of what it is we had and what we're going to have going forward. And in looking forward, there is quite a bit to celebrate, given that Vince Zampella, the head of Respawn Studios, the studio that's never made a bad game to date, will now be also heading up Dice LA's studio. Now, there's a couple things to break down in this respect. Let's look first at Vince Zampella, someone known for the original Medal of Honor games, the original Call of Duty Modern Warfare games, for splitting off from Activision and creating Respawn Studios, which to this day, Respawn has never produced a bad game. You have Titanfalls 1 and 2, followed by Apex Legends and the more recent Jedi Fallen Order, two Game of the Year contenders in 2019. It's great to see that Vince Sampella is now expanding his influence, or rather has enough influence in EA to now be heading up a second studio. Now, don't misunderstand, Dice LA, often known for being a support to Dice Stockholm, will now be creating its own content. Uh, it's said to be that this studio will now be making, um, working on a new and original IP. It is not going to be a branch of Respawn. It'll be its own thing. It won't be supporting any other studio, but Dice LA will now be kind of rebranded to create its own content. This should be extremely, extremely exciting for quite a number of reasons. First, it means that Vince Sampella has enough sway in EA to push against the Frostbite engine, to push against some of the more corporate-minded structures there. In his clout, in creating so many great games as he has, I mean, that original Modern Warfare, the storytelling of the original Medal of Honor back in its heyday, the idea that they were able to branch off and create another first-person shooter genre, the idea that he had the foresight and the wherewithal to allow and build a team within Respawn to create a high-caliber third-person action game like Jedi Fallen Order under Stig Osmussen, but didn't get so involved that he bogged down that process. That's what you want from a good leader, a leader who recognizes his or her own strengths and allows those who are working with them to create what they do best. The idea that Jedi Fallen Order came out last year under his tutelage, under his, his guide and, and steward, means that Zampella has something special about him. His track record is too good to think otherwise. And with kind of our typical gamer kind of snootiness when we look at EA and that frustration that comes from a lot of the EA kind of corporate mandates and, and the, the umbrella that they often take around with them, for better or worse, if Zampella has enough sway within the company to create Respawn, to guide several projects at a time, and then now head up and steward another separate studio that will be doing things separate from Titanfall, separate from 
you know, a Fallen Order or Jedi Star Wars type game. I like this. This is a good sign. The track record speaks for itself, and I think it's a good move from EA. I like that we're going to see more of Zampella's influence on the industry as he ages up and as he moves through and and gains even more clout and wisdom throughout. I I strike this as a positive for me. And the idea that it dicey LA, whatever its rebrand is going to be to kind of get it away from the mindset of being a a support studio, that it's going to be making its own content, whatever their rebrand is, I think will say a lot about them. And I'm very curious to see what kind of projects they'll have. Will it be working on a Star Wars project? We know that EA doesn't want to lose that license and that their time with that license is winding down. I I spoke about Battlefront 2 at the top of the show. That game launched disastrously and was a huge disappointment for gamers, for the, the corporate side for the partners that are involved in that. And I know Star Wars wasn't too happy about it, but it's certainly gotten a lot better in recent years. You know, Jedi Fallen Order, one of the best Star Wars games we've ever gotten, ever. Um, Certainly not a perfect game. You could tell it needed more time in the oven, but a great game nonetheless. I would imagine that EA wants to get out another Star Wars product or branded game so that it has a long tail of profit runs if they are to lose a license. And that kind of brings up its own question. Uh, Do we expect Disney to continue partnering with EA going forward, or will they kind of diversify? For my money, they're diversifying. They're not going to tie themselves down to one publisher any longer. I would imagine they take the Marvel Game Studios approach where they partner with the appropriate people for the appropriate project. That Marvel Spider-Man, it is its own thing. Insomniac was the right studio to do it. They produce a heck of a game, but it's not an exclusive deal with Insomniac or Sony or anyone else. You have Marvel Ultimate Event Alliance 2, 3, I should say. Our Ultimate Alliance 3, that's a great game on the Switch. I would love for it to be on other systems as well, but I have it on Switch. I think it's a blast. It's good old time. Marvel's Avengers coming out. That's exciting to see. Uh, so I would imagine Star Wars takes a similar route and they go on a case-by-case basis, which I'm all for. I want more Star Wars games. I want more developers working on that type of product. So, you know, let's let's see that happen. Who knows? But all in all, uh, good news for Vince Zampella. I think it's good news for gamers as well, uh, and I'm happy about it. You know, every new year offers a time for reflection and for people to look back on, on what's gone on in the past year, the past decade, their lifetime. They look at their mistakes, their successes, and what it is they're proud of or frustrated by. And I think in gaming specifically, we don't do anything different than that. We've got new systems on the way in 2020. But backward compatibilities, of course, kind of blended a bit of those generation gaps uh, going forward, which I think is a blast. But as the 2010s came to a close and we're moving into this more exciting year of 2020, people are looking back at where they were at the beginning of the generation, where they were at the beginning of the decade, uh, which are two different things, of course, and, and looking at where they are now. And I did decide to kind of dive into that rabbit hole and look back at some of the highlights. Of course, a lot of people look back and they, they want to erase the mistakes of old as they, they go forward. But it's the mistakes of old that allow you to have a wisdom and a maturity moving forward. And I think a lot of Xbox's mistakes in the past decade have really led to a lot of the great choices that consumers have had uh, in the more recent years under whether it's the Spencer umbrella that you want to think of it as or just the more recent trend of being in second or third place accordingly. Uh, and what it's forcing Xbox to do. Well, at the very beginning of, of 2010, we didn't actually know where Microsoft was going at a certain point. Uh, the Xbox 360 was launching at Slim back in 2010. The Xbox 360 Connect uh, launched at the, in November of 2010, and that thing was a huge success. Now, it's so funny to think about because I have real no love for Connect. I really hated Connect 2.0. Not a fan of that at all, but that technology... Uh, it, it has made its way into all aspects of not just gaming, but I think just tech throughout the industry, good and bad. Uh, but the 360 Connect launched in November 2010, selling 24 million 
by the end of its life cycle. I think we often look back at the Connect and think of it as a failure. But Connect Adventures and the Connect Sensor Bar, 24 million, Dance Central, those are some pretty high highs there. Uh, it surprises me even to look back. I was going back and doing the research. I found an article on GameSpot from 2013 that cited this information. It, it surprised me. But the 360 Slim launched in 2010, and that was a beautiful system, kind of retconning and correcting a, I would argue, the Xbox 360 kind of launch and that that build, that style, the, the couple SKUs that came out in that style. Uh, really ugly by comparison to that Slim, and that Slim was gorgeous. I, I thoroughly remember that, that launching and then the variations that came. At one point, I had a Halo Reach Slim. That was a beautiful system by the end. But uh, yeah, it surprised me to see that Connect sold 24 million. What a great number that is, and yet we still think of it as a failure. But it does kind of state, you know, remind us that cost matters. That was like 150 bucks uh, when it launched. A lot of people that already were it was working on an install base of something like 80 million units by the end of the 360's lifestyle. Their life cycle. So to sell 24 million, that's a that's a pretty good number. That's like a fourth of its install base. That's kind of cool. Uh, the Xbox One launched in November 2013. So three years after the 360 Slim and three years after the Connect, uh, that Connect 2.0 came out. Uh, it was an underpowered botch of a unit, priced 100 bucks more than its competition because of that Connect 2.0. Uh, and man, I really did not like that launch system of, of the Xbox One. Uh, I actually was a PS4 guy at launch. I have no qualms about it. I absolutely love the PS4. Loved it uh, for many, many years. And it wasn't until Microsoft really did a couple of the changes we're going to talk about coming up that made me feel that they were more pro-consumer uh, during the changeover. But that Don Matrick launch VS VCR system, it, it just didn't inspire confidence. And I think they were trying to ride the high of 80 million 360 units sold. And they thought that people would, would really just dive in and eat it all up because it said Xbox on it. And that's a hubris that we've seen Sony make the similar error before. Nintendo's made that similar error before. And here's hoping that companies continue to learn from it. Jim Ryan over at Sony has said that they don't want to make that mistake again. I think Nintendo has learned that they can't just count on uh, Nintendo fans to just go out and buy anything. The Wii U most recently taught them that. So here's hoping that Microsoft continues to learn the lessons that that Xbox One launched uh, after that Don Metric era and everything that kind of came with it. And it, seemingly it has. I mean, Satya Nadella seems to listen to Phil Spencer and put a lot of faith in him, and they seem to have their ear to the ground uh, about what it is consumers want, so much so that the very cheesy news came out a couple weeks back that during many of their board meetings with Phil Spencer kind of heading up the discussions, they have an empty chair at the, all of their meetings at their meetings to represent the gamer and the interests of the gamer, uh, which is extremely cheesy, and yet at the same time, it warms your heart a little bit. Kind of makes you think, all right, they are thinking about me in one way or another. And there's nothing wrong with that symbiotic relationship between consumer and, and company. As long as everybody remembers that companies are trying to make money, consumers want a product that they're willing to pay for and that is rewarding them. And all our love for the green, the blue, the red, and the controller, and, and the characters, and whatever it is that we love about gaming, as long as we recognize that it is, it is indeed a business and an entertainment source at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with diving in and being supportive of one another and supporting a certain brand. Uh, that you find is best for you, uh, whatever it may be. You just got to keep in mind it is a business at the end of the day and you are a customer and you are not obligated to like or dislike anything that has a plastic box logo for any particular reason. Continuing our look back, also in 2013, Games with Gold was announced and of course that program expanded in 2014-15 with some alterations as to how they uh, gave that out to gamers with Xbox One inclusions and uh, it changed of course again uh, in backward compatibility which was announced in 2015 and in the year prior, 2014, 
Minecraft was acquired by Xbox, and there was a lot of doom and gloom for some people and a lot of celebration for others. What does it mean that Microsoft, the juggernaut, acquires Minecraft when the Xbox One is floundering? Are they going to make it exclusive, this, that, or the other? And the answer was no. In fact, quite the opposite. Now in 2020, we're seeing that Minecraft is compatible across all versions with crossplay, from PlayStation 4, which is included in Microsoft's commercials at this point, Switch, which is included in Microsoft's commercials at this point. You can play Minecraft on so many devices, different realms can, can cross-save uh, between them all. You've got cross-play. Microsoft has really done a good job at allowing it to, and supporting it across all platforms. And, and back in the day, at 2014, there were a lot of questions as to would they? Did they care? Would they go out of their way to support the PlayStation version? Would they hamper one version and try and increase sales on another? And the truth is, it might be Minecraft that piloted this new wave and new mentality of Microsoft wanting crossplay, wanting to have influences across multiple boxes, multiple systems, regardless of what brand it is. It's, it's very software-centric, it's very consumer-centric, and we really might be able to credit Minecraft with being kind of the apex of this mentality, the, the fulcrum point, the changing point, where we see this, this new Microsoft step into play. Of course, by then, uh, Phil Spencer was heading up the, the was the head of Xbox, uh, and it could have been his leadership along with many other people there. He often cites his team, and that's a smart move. We just tend to use him as a figurehead because there is a, a turning point in the 2010s that began with that Spencer era and the changes that he uh, allowed to happen under his staff. Backward compatibility was announced at E3 2015, and it has only seen growth to that program. Initially, it was a a slate of, uh, of a certain amount of games on Xbox 360 that could be playable on Xbox One, and that began to upgrade and change, and new titles were added every single week. They had an entire team dedicated all the way through just until 2019, where they backed that, that group off and moved them into Scarlet production for the Series X and Series whatever it may, may come. But yeah, that backward compatibility announcement really shifted the tides and mentality for that Microsoft group that wasn't sure, we weren't sure what Xbox was going to do uh, in 2015. We didn't know what was going to happen there. And backward compatibility at that E3 announcement followed up in 2016 uh, with the Xbox One S announcement and release. That Xbox One S, the Connect being phased out, Connect no, Connect 2.0 no longer included with Xbox Ones. Price point was far more family friendly. It, was, it wasn't hampered by an extra $100 regardless. The Xbox One S was more powerful than the original Xbox. It ran on a, a bit faster. It was definitely more aesthetically pleasing to look at. And in launching the S, they also told us about the X, which would later launch in 2017. That Xbox One X Scorpio edition is the one I snagged. I loved it. I have a lot of affinity for it. It's still over on my shelf because I couldn't bear to part with it. Too many good memories at the time. Uh, but that Xbox One X in 2017, along with Mixer integration in 2017, fantastic. I think Game Pass also launched in 2017. So throughout this generation, you're seeing games with gold come out, new hardware redesigns, Game Pass come through, even the adaptive controller that came out in May of 2018. That's pretty incredible. I'm sorry, it came out in September 2018. It was announced in May 2018. And all Xbox Game Pass titles are hitting now, our Xbox Game Studios are hitting Game Pass day and date. That's huge. We found these things out throughout the generation that become more and more consumer-friendly. The adaptive controller is one that sticks out to me as this was not a money-making scheme. It's not sold for a mass amount of profit. I would have thought that controller would sell for like two, 300 bucks. It doesn't. It sells far more comparably. It's like an $100, $150 range depending on where you are. And it's open source for so many people to check out. I mean, you can, they've opened the doors for programmers to, to find a way to use it on any system. That's exciting. That signifies this idea of, hey, yes, we're a business and we are out to make money, but we only make money if people are interested in our product and they feel fulfilled by our products that they get. 
And so, the, again, I talk about this symbiotic relationship, uh, and maybe I'm looking at it too, Sunshine and Roses, but I like the idea that they are making things to bring more people into games. That's ex- that's exciting. Um, the Xbox Game Studios made a number of expansions by this time at this point, and just to read off the, their studios, they've got 343 Industries, the Age of Empire team, Coalition, Compulsion Games, Double Fine, the Initiative, In Exile, the Minecraft Studio, through, uh, Ninja Theory, Obsidian, Playground Games, Rare, Turn 10, Undead Labs, all of those now under the Xbox Game Studio banner. That's producing producing titles that we would have never seen. Microsoft Flight Simulator is back on the table. That's exciting. It's, it's coming out soon. So many people have incredible gaming memories with Microsoft Flight Simulator. It has nothing to do with Xbox, and yet it's a huge brand inclusion. Age of Empires is being revitalized. They've had Age of Empires 1 and 2 uh, DE announced. I know Age of Empires 3 is on its way. That The strategy genre is expanding. Minecraft is now expanding into a couple different genres outside of its, its proper flagship with Minecraft Dungeons and uh, Minecraft Earth. Now, I'll tell you about Dungeons and Earth. Dungeons? Played a DD3, super cool game, super cool. If you like Diablo but and maybe you want something to play with your kid that's a little less intense, definitely check out Minecraft Dungeons. It's on its way in 2020. Was it Minecraft Earth, a really cool AR game? Uh, when Sean Capri and I checked that out in the last or at E3 as well, we were flabbergasted by by the tech because we, it shouldn't have worked, and yet it does. Playing Minecraft in the real world, Pokemon Go style, but but not having it more to it, a really cool idea. And then I guess I suppose when I look at the, this Xbox Game Studio, Rare we know is making a team, you know, one project being Sea of Thieves, but also has two or three other separate studios within there working on things, and is also partnering with oh, oh goodness gracious, who's making the Battletoads game? What is it? Dalala Studios. That's right. They're partnering with others. Undead Labs is now fully funded. What does State of Decay three look like? Is it more fleshed out and less? Indie, I suppose, and State of Decay's 1 and 2, which are great games in their own right. Of course, we saw Ninja Theory and what it is they're making. I mean, goodness gracious, Hellblade 2 looks incredible. Obsidian, of course, they have grounded on the way, but we know they also have DLC for The Outer Worlds and a whole new separate project, which, by the way, Phil Spencer alluded to their, their full team when he was on an interview with Major Nelson. And he was talking about the Obsidian stuff there, and, and he whether he let slip or was just totally cool sharing it, you know, he asked Major Nelson, you know, well, hey, uh, do you see what Obsidian's working on next? And Nelson plays along. He's like, yeah, and they're making Grounded. That's really cool. And Spencer's like, no, they're full team. What a cool thing. Like, you know, they've got multiple things going on there. Compulsion Games. I know We Happy View didn't really hit and didn't thrill me by any means, but Compulsion Games has a talented studio there. They're working on things that are very, very different than that. Excited to see that. We see a number of different people going to In Exile. Uh, and the initiative in exile has wasteland three on the way that strategy genre yet again kind of being brought back into into uh, the world rpg and strategy kind of blended with in exile's case but yeah and then this year we also have halo infinite man i'm curious to see what that has what does the series x bring us with halo i mean does it bring it back to form i started you know in 2010 i was playing halo reach i'm ending this decade playing halo reach it is incredible how good the halo reach remaster is and really how far along master chief collection has come i started this show talking about sea of thieves and battlefront 2 two games that you know could have been dead a year out from their release due to their troubled or frustrating or perhaps even boring launches and yet those teams stuck with rebranded in some cases they built and they rebuilt and and restructured economies sea of thieves has never been better and that community continues to grow week in and week out. And that's an exciting thing to see because, man, I'll tell you what, if I worked at Microsoft, I'd have canceled Sea of Thieves a year in. But since that anniversary update, oh my gosh, it's gotten very good. It's, it's a blast. Battlefront 2, I'd have, I'd, oof, 
I don't know how they recovered, and yet they did. And then Microsoft sticking with the Master Chief Collection. What a buggy mess and atrocious uh, multiplayer that that thing had at the beginning because it was chopped together. Uh, UWP was trying to be pushed into it, but it kind of did, kind of didn't work. Um, Master Chief Collection was great stories with single player, but just bad multiplayer uh, design because they were patching it all together. And yet now, so many years from the release of the Master Chief Collection, the inclusion of Halo Reach, of ODST, what's likely going to be Halo 5 brought into that realm as well. It's good. It's really good. And Halo Reach stands out as being a fantastic game. Even to this day, the netcode is is near perfect. I know I jump in almost every week with Mr. Badbit and have a good old time there. It's awesome. It's, it's impressive to see. Lastly, in 2019, I think you have to point out that Game Pass Ultimate launched. 2019, Game Pass for PC and Game Pass Ultimate kind of launched and blended Xbox Live Gold together. Your subscription kind of matches and, and spreads across your Xbox ecosystem, not just with your console, but with your controller via xCloud, with Game Pass for PC, whether you're on your computer, high-powered, low-powered. You know that xCloud is going to bring a number of different options to people who might have underpowered devices. I have to imagine, I have to imagine that Microsoft is investigating ways to make your Xbox One console, maybe your S, maybe your X, uh, play xCloud so that you have access to the Xbox Series X or whatever its other versions are so that you can play next-gen games on old-gen hardware because that is the power of streaming. That's the, the coolest thing about playing on xCloud on my phone. It's that my phone could not natively play a lot of the games that I'm having a good old time with. I can't play Gears 5 on my phone. And yet, I can totally play Gears 5 on my phone because the streaming tech is now allowing for that level of fidelity. So, I, you know, you have to think they're wondering, can they use the Xbox Ones and bring people into that? Uh, how do we get people into next gen? And with the Series X, all right, so this is an interesting conversation. Let's change the, the tone just a bit. So... I've been asked, and it's floated across my timeline quite a bit, we're seeing specs uh, that are leaking about the PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series X from the most callous YouTubers who are making videos that, that have inflammatory titles and they're trying to just get clicks and, you know, oh, we now know what's going to happen, this, that, or the other, uh, to even IGN having to, to report on a few things because Digital Foundry finally said, hey, we found this leak, this could be true, this might be a year old, we don't know. Uh, several things go through my mind when it comes to this. First, a lot of these YouTubers... They don't know. None of us know until it's officially stated we don't know. And it makes sense in some cases, depending upon source, to comment on speculation and leaks uh, for different types of specs that might come out for the PlayStation 5 or the Xbox Series X. Does it matter? Is Xbox Series X more powerful, PlayStation more powerful? Let me be very clear. I don't care. I truly don't. I know a lot of the big Microsoft push of late is it's going to be the world's most powerful console. Yes, the Xbox One X is already currently the place to play the, your third parties if you want the absolute pinnacle best experience. The, they're touting the Series X to be that same thing. Whatever. I do not care. I no longer care about that argument. I care about three things. Cost, catalog, and choice. The cost needs to be affordable for people to buy into that market. Now, we... Again, speculation leads to think that it's likely the Series X is going to be $500, $550. All right, cool. That's that's a premium price. They need to have a more consumer-friendly model there. You need a $300 uh, box as well. So that's what the idea of these leaks are pushing, You know whether or not we care about who's more powerful, this, that, and the other. I, I do not. I want that catalog to be good. Now, with the, the, the next gen, we're seeing enough first-party studios in Xbox's slate to address the gaping concern that in this past generation, they could not match pit for, tit for tat any of Sony's exclusives. The very best Xbox exclusive titles, Gears 5, Halo 5 maybe, um, 
with the exception of the Forza series, they're trounced by a number of the Sony exclusives. And we're talking about sales and we're talking about quality, not personal interest. My personal interest, I love Gears, I love Halo, I'm a happy camper. But God of War is special. Spider-Man PS4 is special. And Microsoft could not combat those types of titles this generation. It just didn't work. And there's no there's no need to act like you're personally offended or that you're you live and die based on the success of Xbox or Sony or anybody else because that's not how brands work. That's not how uh, we as consumers should work. What we should do is acknowledge where we we had a, a status gap in this past generation, and that was exclusives. And Microsoft is addressing that. All those studios I read off not too long ago, they're now creating quality titles that are from from indie feeling to double A to triple A to quad A with the initiative, whatever. It, they need to deliver on that promise, but it seems to me that Microsoft has addressed that. The form factor of the Series X looks designed to handle power. Excellent. I like power. I have a 4K TV. I want my games to look the best, whether they're third party or first party. I want that, but that is a luxury. That does not stop me from going to any competitor's slate and catalog if I'm interested. You bet your bottom dollar if another infamous game is announced, I'm going to be booting up my PS4, snagging a PS5. Yes, because I love those types of games. Um, but I think that Microsoft, with Game Pass being in the hands of so many people now, with Game Pass Ultimate spanning multiple console spaces, they've got xCloud out there, and with people buying into this ecosystem, you bet your bottom dollar that if they can't afford an Xbox Series X, they buy the Lockhart version, whether it's a Series S or some version um, that's that's lower cost, but people can dive in and play Halo with their buddies. Cool. You don't need to play Halo Reach in 4K to enjoy that game. It's a great game. You don't need to play the next version of this, that, or the other without you know having the best graphics. That's fine. As long as you're enjoying the game on some device, as long as I can jump in and play with Mr. Babbitt, my buddy Kevin Butler, and and have a good old bit of time playing games with people, it doesn't matter if I've got 10 more pixels, 100 more pixels, if we're able to play and enjoy ourselves. Do I care about these new specs and these releases? Am I going to live and die by the latest leak about how powerful PS5 is or Xbox Series X? No, I'm just not. I don't I don't enjoy that battle. That's not a battle I'm interested in. I don't care if PS5 or Xbox sells more than the other. I care that I have good costs, that my money is worth it, that my catalog is rewarding me for my personal interests, whatever they are, and that I have choice about where to play and who to play with. And it looks to me that in this era of crossplay, this era of recognizing that people do have finite amount of income, these subscription-based services that are providing hundreds of games, I'm going to have that regardless of where I go. Bet your bottom dollar that because of Game Pass, we're going to see PlayStation now continue to revamp the way that it brings games to the Sony fans. And we've seen in this generation alone that PlayStation now has allowed downloads for PS4 titles. We've heard rumors that they're going to have full back compat uh, on, on, on native hardware. Cool, that's great. That only pushes Microsoft to continue their expansion. Nintendo marks, marks at the beat of its own drum, and who knows what that means uh, going forward. I think that the bottom line is we want to celebrate and be happy with them pushing each other going. Goodness, my voice is getting so sultry as we go through. You can really tell I've been under the weather. My voice is fading, and I do apologize for that. But hopefully it's uh, sultry and allowance. Hello to anybody who is listening. This is what my voice sounds like. Yes. All right, we have quite a bit of listener mail to chat about. And we had quite a few people write in across the two weeks uh, with our week absence there. So let's get right to it. This one comes from at Nindy Nation. Xbox has been all about serving the gamer with Game Pass, the adaptive controller, backward compatibility, and play anywhere. Are there any similar offerings that they could tackle in 2020? 
That is a fantastic question, Nindy Nation, and I've, I put a lot of thought into it, and I think I might have accidentally addressed it throughout the show, but with rumors that PlayStation 5 is going to offer full back compat via hardware and not emulation, this is going to push Microsoft to at least consider whether or not they should go this route uh, with their own personal box. Do they want to build in an emulator for original Xbox and Xbox 360 discs? Uh, I don't anticipate that, but it is a possibility. Because a lot of times with the digital offerings that they're having, with expanding their own uh, back and pat services, we might lose different licensed products. Like, I would love to go back and play games that I miss that are licensed just for kicks. Like, I really want to go play the old Iron Man or uh, Captain America the Winter Soldier game. I'm told it's very similar to Arkham. Uh, it's just Captain America. Maybe not the same quality as Arkham, but that's there. Well, that's not fully back and pat on my Xbox One. So maybe they build an emulator in, or they have a hardware option built in, but that is expensive, and I don't know that we'll see something like that. Instead, I would imagine we continue to see expansions to xCloud, Games with Gold, uh, and Xbox Game Pass. They've already done so much consumer-friendly stuff on that front. It's almost like PlayStation has to play catch-up in terms of services. The difference being that PlayStation has more generations to go back to, and a bit of more of a legacy to go back to, that, that might be more exciting. Though, I think we sometimes accidentally celebrate some of those older 3D games a bit more than we should. There's a reason Final Fantasy VII is getting remade, because it is fugly whenever you take a look at it. We all have great memories of games like that, but they don't age particularly well. So, uh, I would like to continue to see expansions to Games with Gold, to Xbox Game Pass, and to Project xCloud, whatever that may be going forward. But I do think those are some of the consumer-friendly things. I already love that my controllers work that I don't need to go rebuy all new controllers just to have a share button. I dig that. I'm excited by that. I'm like that my Elite 2 uh, will work on the next system, as will my headsets. This means that the transition to a $500 box with Series X or a $600 box or whatever, $200, $300, whatever it is, will be a little bit easier because you don't need peripherals and because your your catalog is built in already. Like You just log in under your new profile or your your profile name on your new system and then there's your your whole library that you have when you're on xbox one or 360 so i like that so that's that's what i think currently will be going forward but i'm excited to see where we go from that at mr glorious one hello mr moody good to see you he says any wild predictions for next year in gaming Ooh, goodness gracious okay so wild predictions uh at the moment anything can happen it's anybody's game stadia could get a whole relaunch who knows uh, we've got the idea that so many of the services we just talked about will need to expand to compete with each other. I would imagine that the pricing structure of the new Xbox generations are going to be the most wild predictions I can make. I'm a little bit worried that the the lower-powered one, Series S, Lockhart, whatever it's going to be, I'm worried that's going to be a $400 box or a $350 box. I'm hoping that's $300 or less. Realistically, I want that to be a $300 uh, or, or $250 box, really is what I want it to be. If it's a $250 box, and then the, the Series X is a 500 box, and they can eat the cost on those two systems for the first year or so and get people in. I think it's a good thing. But uh, as far as a wild prediction, I don't know. Sony going one SKU at launch is a pretty wild thought. Uh, Nintendo, I think, will probably have a Switch Pro-esque type model, but it'll continue to be underpowered. But they'll use Breath of the Wild 2 to come out and combat anything that the next gen might have. Very excited to see Halo Infinite and what that may mean as far as storytelling bits, uh, how long it's going to be, but I don't know. I think if I have any wild prediction for this year in 2020 that we're going to have gaming-wise, we might actually get a bit of news about a Batman game. Like, come on, we haven't heard from Arkham in weeks, in months, in years. It's been 2015. I need more Batman, and it hasn't happened yet, and I get very emotional about it. it kills me. So that's my wild prediction. 
I don't know. I want more Batman. At Hypecaster asks, he says, GTA 5 Game Pass, a game that is still selling full price copies on the top of the charts every month. I'm shocked Rockstar didn't wait a bit longer to keep the gravy train moving. I don't know why any dev is paid, what any dev is paid for having a game on Game Pass, but with GTA, Minecraft on Game Pass, can Game Pass ever be beat? Oh, it's a great question. And you're right. Yeah, we should say that GTA 5 is now available on Game Pass, a surprise announcement at the top of the year. Now that now gamers with Game Pass can play the full version of GTA 5 and GTA Online with discounts for for GTA content as well if you want some of the DLCs there. That's great news. Uh, to answer your question of whether it can ever be beat, absolutely. Of course it can. I mean, you look at Disney Plus coming out undercutting uh, Netflix. Netflix at one point had the Marvel movies. It had Star Wars. It was making original Marvel shows. Daredevil was great. Um, there was some, some incredible stuff. Witcher was on its way. And then Disney Plus comes out undercutting its cost. Um, with, with all of those franchises and developing competition. In fact, we want Game Pass to have a healthy competitor. So I think with the addi additional changes to PlayStation Now that we referenced earlier, uh, along with potentials uh, of what Stadia might do in order to kind of recapture people's interest, maybe Nintendo doing something special, yes, it can be beat. There will be certainly be a number of uh, ways that it has to adapt going forward with different economies. I mean, you look at the different economies that came out in the last generation. At one point, there were season passes. At one point, there were online passes for used games. There was, you know, pre-order DLC, bonus DLC for different consoles. Some of those still exist. Some faded away. As far as services, yes, Game Pass, of course, can be beat at some point, but we've seen Microsoft take steps by announcing that their, their game studios will, announce, will launch day and date regardless. They've done a number of different things with indie companies to, to bring indie games to the service regularly. As long as Microsoft is firing on all cylinders and acting with hubris, uh, I think it'll be a hard beat, that's for sure. And soak it up. To anyone that's enjoying the show so far, recognize that I am saying you should soak up anytime a company is sucking up to you. Anytime a company is, is desperate to win back favor, you're going to get the most value for dollar. And right now, that is in Game Pass. It's better than EA Access. It's better than PlayStation Now. It's better than any of those comparable services uh, by a landslide. There you go. Also, GTA 5, there's a ton to do. That game, What an accomplishment that game is. It's a shame that Red Dead 2 didn't kind of live up to that same expectation, but live and learn. Uh, our last question for this episode comes from Todd Oxtra. He says, glad you're feeling better, Ghost. Thank you. Uh, which X OG Xbox game series would you like to see brought back? Oh, man. Uh, so, Todd, that's a fantastic question, especially in this era of remasters and, and fan favorites and nostalgia kind of being the pinnacle of mindshare for users. I think Crimson Skies is an IP that I want to see uh, kind of make its way back. It's a, it's a cult classic from the OG Xbox. Everybody loves that, that flying-around-style game, uh, and people speak so highly of, of Crimson Skies. But how cool would it be if that was brought into the modern era and using the same style of its progenitor, uh, but maybe bring in some of the tech from Microsoft Flight Simulator? Maybe incorporate that somehow. Maybe kind of have a reference to the Azure Cloud, but have a, a closed, you know, tight Crimson Skies experience launching with the Xbox One X or Xbox Series X or in the in the, the launch wave or even in the first two years of that. I think you'd win a lot of fanfare. People are like, oh my gosh, Crimson Skies is coming back. That'd be really cool. More so than any Fable because everybody's been talking about Fable for years. Well, it hasn't happened. So the expectations on Fable might be too high. Even Jade Empire might be too high. But with Crimson Skies, something that was a cult cult classic, a cult favorite, uh, and that might reach out and branch into more people that are enjoying it, I think there's a lot of opportunity in something like Crimson Skies. You know, there's a lot of a lot of, of ways to celebrate that franchise, and it is a Microsoft IP, so that's the one. That's the one I want to see come back. I think there's a lot to that. 
All right, everybody, that is going to be the show this week. I can't say enough how much I appreciate you guys sticking around. I know my voice was sultry this week, but I appreciate you being here. Uh, thank you to Stu Grubbs. In the last episode, if you missed it, fantastic interview with him. We have a number of different uh, interviews on the way in the pipeline for January, February, March uh, that I'm very excited to bring to you. Again, it'll never be every episode, guys. That's just not practical for the way this show works. But I am very excited with the number of guests that are that I'm getting lined up to, to come, come forward. And I want to thank all of you for starting with that journey with me on XEP in 2019 and leading me into 2020. We're up to 15 reviews on iTunes. The number of downloads is remarkably high for the show it grew at a pace i was not ready for and i'm very excited for please continue to share it on on your medias of social with you if you have friends you think would enjoy kind of a more objective analytical approach to the xbox conversation uh and i've so enjoyed guesting on other shows thank you so much i mean that was a highlight year in 2019 of getting to go to e3 with sean capri as part of the xbox drive and then exiting the xbox drive uh, to guesting on DLC, to starting X Xbox Expansion Pass, uh, streaming with Xbox Canada, and a fantastic 2019 for me that had its highs and lows. And yet into 2020, I am so excited to bring you guys more. Uh, so thank you so much for your support with that. I hope you all have a very happy new year, and I will catch you next week. Take care, everybody.